Hey, Pastor Kevin Wallace here from Redemption to the Nations Church, and I believe today God has given me a word that is going to speak to your life. Listen, we need strength and we need comfort, and today we're going to find it in the Word of God. Hang on, and I'll see you at the end of this message for prayer. Receive the word. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, while you remain standing, let's go to the Word of God. And we stand to give honor to the Word of the Lord. Grateful for the blessing of God. Today I'm going to continue a thought that we began several weeks ago called battle threads. Look at somebody, tell them I got on my battle threads. Yeah, we're talking about the armor of God. And uh, the Lord has left us a powerful, powerful armor so that we can be able to stand and withstand in the evil day. How many know that there's victory in Jesus? Victory in Jesus. And so today we're grateful for the Lord's blessing. And I want us to go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and let us look there at verse number 13. Verse number 13. And when you got it, say word. And for those of you intercessors in the house, this coming week, Tennessee football begins. And I'm going to need some people who know how to pray to touch heaven on behalf of the big orange. Amen. I can't handle another year of it. Just kidding. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. One translation says put on the belt of truth. How many have a translation that says put on the belt of truth? The belt of truth. Anybody with the King James Version? It says gird up your loins. This is old fashioned talk like we used to talk in the church. The preachers would say gird up your loins. <laughs> we were like what? <laughs> Gird up your loins with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I'm not going to endeavor to preach the whole armor today. I think for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to preach on two pieces of the armor each Sunday. That's at least what I have in my preparation. We'll see where it goes. But I want to talk today about the belt and the breastplate. Everyone say the belt and the breastplate. And we want to talk about the armor of God today and our battle threads. Jesus, help us to preach your word. I pray you will send the Holy Spirit. I pray the power of God would come today. Preaching is absolutely useless without you, Lord. And I pray that the Spirit of the Lord would give us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Today I'm asking for that revelation to pierce and penetrate into the heart and mind of every man and woman in this room that we would understand what truth and righteousness are. And I pray, God, you would give us a grace to not only hear the word, but to mix it with faith so that when we leave this place today, we find ourselves activated in the word of the Lord. Now, we praise you, God, for what you're going to do in advance and for any soul that's in this room who is lost. I thank you that the reason we came to church today is not only to receive and be fed, but to see someone, to rejoice with someone who comes to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone who loves Jesus, say amen. Amen. 
Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. So we began a series a couple of weeks ago called Battle Threads, and we're talking about the armor of God, and the armor of God is written about in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, as I told you, is probably the grandest revelation of identity for the child of God in the entire Bible. You read the book of Ephesians, there's no doubt who you are in him and who he is in you. I am thankful today that Ephesians was written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that there is no questioning about our place in Christ and our victory, our ultimate victory in him from the first chapter of Ephesians to the last chapter of Ephesians, there is no margin for defeat. There is only a reminder of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And yet when we come to the sixth chapter where we read from this morning, the final chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul says the words finally to set up the last segment of the book of Ephesians. He's talked about who we are. He's talked about the victory we have. And then he comes to the final portion of Ephesians and he says, finally, brothers, put on the whole armor of God. I talked about last week the power of God, the power of his might, what God was doing in our lives, staying in the dominion in which we have been promised victory. And then in the 13th verse is where I want us to begin today. Several times in this, this section in Ephesians 6, he says these words, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Because the reality is there's really no, there's no sense of true protection or victory if you only put on part of the armor of God. And Paul wants us to explicitly be clothed in battle threads that are given to us by God and it is for a specific day. And I want you to pay careful attention to this because in the 13th verse of Ephesians 6, the Bible says it again, put on the whole armor of God for the evil day. Everyone say the evil day, the evil day. No one wants to talk about the evil day. Everyone wants to talk about the blessing day. Everyone wants to talk about the day of breakthrough. Everyone wants to talk about the day of, uh, of the good things happening. And I'm thankful that in our journey, we all go through some really good days. Anybody had some really good days? Anybody thankful for the good days that you've had in your life? I'm thankful for the good days. There have been so many. I can't even count all the good days when I have been a recipient of the blessing of God that I didn't deserve. When he's opened up the windows of heaven on my life and poured out blessings that I didn't have room enough to receive. And he's a good God that gives good gifts because James reminds us of this. He said that he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. He is the father of light in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He gives good gifts, and we've all had some good days. But I want to tell you that there's also been some challenging days. There's also been some adversarial days. There have been some days when we were opposed. There have been some days when the enemy tried to come against us. There have been some days where we felt like we were outnumbered and surrounded, and it looked like the enemy had the upper hand. It looked like darkness was everywhere we were looking, and this is important because Paul said, you need the armor for the evil day. The evil, the evil, the evil day. The evil, the word evil in the Greek is poneros, and it literally means the day of adversity, hardship, and pressing. Paul said, in the Christian journey, 
There's going to be days of victory. There's going to be days of blessing and breakthrough. There's going to be days when you feel like more than a conqueror. Come on, there's going to be days when you get gifts you didn't deserve and you get open doors that you didn't even have to knock on or push open. There are going to be things that happen to you and you're going to have to look up in the heavens and say, thank you, Abba, for being so good to me. But there are going to be some evil days. There are going to be some challenging days. There are going to be some days when you look at the newspaper and you see the, the highlights on the news at night and you're going to feel like there's an enemy loose and darkness is all around. Paul said, that's the day that you need the whole armor of God. And I want you to know today that when you look at a person, when you look at the armor of God, there is nothing mentioned here explicitly in the text that regard that, that regarding or protecting the behind part of you and I, the, the, the back. There's nothing on the backside of the soldier because the soldier in the army was never meant to turn and run. The soldier in the army of God was meant to move forward. You don't need the armor of God if you're a coward because a coward is always running from the battle. But it is the child of God that looks straight in the eye of the enemy and right in the middle of the darkness and say, I was born again for this moment and this is why the armor of God is in my life. Look at somebody tell them I can't turn back now. Come on, tell somebody I can't turn back now. See, the Bible said in the book of Revelation, we often overread this and we don't like this, but the Bible said the coward will never inherit the kingdom of God. I'm telling you right now, you better make up your mind that in a day of fear and darkness and evil, this is exactly the time you were created to live in. You were not created to get run over by this world or the culture or the spirit of this world. This is how we overcome the world, even our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. Soldier is always moving forward. And it is because he's moving forward that he has been given the armor of God. And the armor of God is given for two things in the evil day. Look at verse number 13 and 14. In the 13th and 14th verse, put on the whole armor of God so that you can do two things. Withstand and having done all, stand. Now these are not the same word on purpose. And let me explain to you what I mean. Number one, the word withstand. Everybody say withstand. To withstand something is the Greek word anthistime. Anthistime is where we get our word antihistamine. How many ever have to take an antihistamine in the spring? Come on in here. There are some pollen demons in Chattanooga that live nowhere else in the world. And we have to take Benadryl and we have to take all these antihistamines. Why? Because when you take an antihistamine, it blocks the allergen from causing your face to swell and your nose to run. And antihistamines put up a block against the allergy. And when Paul says put on the whole armor of God, 
God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What he is seeing is an an advancing force from darkness trying to move forward. But when he gets to you and when he gets to me, he encounters a Jesus-filled people who do not simply let hell push them back. They withstand and they say, oh no, not today, devil. Not on this watch, not in our generation. You will not run over us and you will not cause us to be afraid because I feel like blocking something today. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Oh, I feel like preaching in here right now. Some of you need to get an antihistamine attitude and you need to say, I will not be run over. You will not take my children. You will not take my house. You will not overcome my mind. I will not be road road kill for the devil. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and I'm more than a conqueror. Withstand. It's like hell was making progress till it ran into you. Darkness was making progress till it ran into you. And when it ran into you, the Jesus in you stood up and said, we won't move. Telling you right now, there's a spirit trying to test the authenticity of the faith of the people of God. I said there's a spirit loose in the world testing the authenticity of the faith of the people of God. And some of you don't know what you got into you till you get pushed around one time by the devil. And the devil don't know that deep down in you is a God that won't quit and a Jesus who is Lord. And some of you feel, I feel like preaching in here. Some of you have been pushed around this week and instead of laying down and getting run over, you stood up and withstood the attack of the enemy. And I just want to tell you, hang on help is on the way God is about to see you through hallelujah withstand withstand it means it doesn't mean you just hide it means you say "Uh -uh, I am moving but then he says not only do you withstand he says Having done all, stand. Withstand says the attack is coming, but don't give an inch. Stand against literally means to stand and be fixed and continue forward. When the word stand is used, withstand means is anahistame, stand is histame. It's two different words, and don't miss the thought. Don't just take it and survive. Lean forward and make progress. I'm trying to find out if I'm going to teach a Bible study or holler till somebody gets out of a place of complacency and moves forward. There is, there is too much taking it and not enough giving it out. There's a season of an evil day when it feels like hell is breaking loose 
And on those days you put on the armor of God, you plant your foot on the truth of God's word, and you say, I'm not backing up. But there are other days when you've done everything you know to do, and instead of backing up, you actually lean in and you move the kingdom forward. I want to tell you, there is no time to simply take it. It's time to lean in and to move forward. The word stand literally means to continue to establish. To establish, to continue in something. It's this idea of setting a course in your life and not moving forward from it. Not moving on from it, but moving forward to it. God doesn't want you to stop. He wants you to keep leaning in establishing and continuing in what Christ has done in your life. And he says in order to be able to withstand the evil day and in order to stand and lean in and move forward, he says, number one, put on the belt of truth. Say the belt of truth. One translation says, gird up your loins. With truth. Now, let me talk about the Roman soldier that Paul was imagining. And you understand that Paul would have had a front row seat to the very armor he was thinking of. The imagery of the armor was something that he could relate to because he spent much of his adult life in prison. And Roman soldiers in the prisons in which he spent his time would have all been decked out in the same kind of battle threads. So he sat in a prison and he saw a Roman soldier walk by with his sword and his shield and his belt and his breastplate and his helmet. And that just, that was just part of the, that was just part of the ambiance of his experience in the jail cell until one day the Spirit of God quickened in his heart and in his thinking this whole issue of armor. And Paul went from looking at a soldier who had armor on in the natural and began to write to the church at Ephesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he began to write about the soldier in the army of the Lord who had the same kind of spiritual apparatus that the Roman soldier had in the natural. And so when Paul saw the soldier walk past his cell and he understood that the entire outfit of the Roman soldier was held together and anchored by the belt of truth. Now, you and I, we perhaps do not have a, a real appreciation for the belt in our wardrobe because, quite frankly, the belt is the last thing, at least for me, the belt is the last thing I would think of, right? You, you, the belt, come on, y'all, you know what a belt does. For us, it keeps your drawers up. The belt helps you keep your drawers up. The belt helps you keep your pants up. And, and, and I know that there's some sisters that got fashionable belts, but brothers, we don't care. Give us a belt. We just don't want to lose our pants. <laughs> to the Roman soldier, the belt was much more than holding pants in place. To the Roman soldier, the belt hold, held the entire apparatus. All of his battle gear and his uniform was held together by the belt. In fact, 
you could identify the level of the soldier and the soldier himself by the kind of belt he wore. And when they put on the belt, everything on the, the body and all of the armor anchored itself to that belt. He carried his sword on his belt. His breastplate anchored to his belt. His ration, his water, the oil that he would use, the food that he would carry, even his money pouch would all be mounted on the belt. The belt was more than a decorative piece of the, of the battle threads. The belt held it all together. And it's the first thing that Paul talks about when he starts talking about the armor of God. And I don't have time to go through the law of first mention, but it is important for you to know if Paul mentioned it first, it's because the truth belt maintained a very powerful place in Paul's mind regarding the armor of God. When Paul said, first and foremost, put on the belt of truth, what he's saying is, you better make sure no matter what you get, get truth. I'm going to tell you this right now. There is nothing that, that, that I can compare in our past. I'm only 41 years old, but at no point in my life have I ever seen deception as rampant and deceptive as it is in our generation. People don't even blush anymore. People don't even act like they're embarrassed to say something that is a lie anymore. They actually tell lies as if it were truth and twist truth until it becomes this subjective thing that is absolutely up to their discretion. In other words, if it's not my truth, then it is not truth. When in, oh yes, this is why nobody wants to live right even in the church this mess is permeating through because now instead of preaching the truth, we preach opinion and we water down and twist the truth so that nobody feels like they need grace and power and strength from God to ascend into a level of living holy. Now instead of trying to, to lean on Jesus to live holy lives, we've reduced him down and we've twisted his truth until it becomes fashionable and culturally acceptable and politically correct. And now we don't, we don't really value truth and until the prophet said truth is falling in the street. Getting stomped on and kicked around. And now you say something that's true and you get labeled on social media with a flag of hate. Y'all not going to say nothing. They'll ban you and, and they'll freeze your account for telling people God decides your gender, not you. See, this is just fundamental stuff. When I was a kid, there wasn't even a discussion about this stuff. Now all of a sudden, people just start rewriting truth. And whatever you want truth to be, that's your version of truth. Let me help you understand something. Truth doesn't pick a side. Truth is its own side. And you don't get to change truth to move to your side you get to experience grace that brings you into alignment with God's truth 
I don't want a God that I bring down and dumb down and reduce his truth to accommodate my defeated lifestyle. I need a God with a high standard, one that I can't reach on my own, but one that he pulls me into by the grace of his son Jesus. This is why we need truth. If you don't know the truth, you can't even be free. Because the Bible said you shall know the and the truth shall make you. That's why we need truth, even when it hurts my feelings. We need truth even when it offends us. You say, I'm offended. If I didn't preach till you were offended, I didn't do my job. When you preach the truth and you tell, I'm not talking about my truth, I'm talking about the truth of God's word. When you preach the truth of God's word and there's something in this that you and I have not lived up to, we experience what is called conviction. And the belt of truth, the belt of truth, listen, here's what I wrote in my notes, truth holds me together. <laughs> have you ever felt like that truth held me together? If you don't have truth in your life, you're falling apart. If you don't have a compass called truth in your spirit, this crazy world will offer you up a dozen of different directions and lead you down paths that are not righteous and you will find yourself one day thinking you were following the truth and you will find out there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. I don't need your opinion, I need his truth. And the truth of God's word is a belt. Now this is what's crazy. When I started reading this in NIV and the other versions that said put on the belt of truth, I went back and looked at it in the Greek and, and literally what it says is what the King James says. It says, gird up your loins. That's why some versions have the belt of truth. One translation says, gird up your loins because in the Greek, what Paul said is gird up your loins with truth. Now, I th I, I'm just gonna tell you, I thought, what in the world does that even mean? Gird up my loins? I heard that all my life. Preachers used to buck. Oh, glory. Gird, hey, up your loins with truth. It sounded interesting to me. So I went and checked what does it mean to gird up your loins. Here's what gird, and it's not just Paul that said it. The apostle Peter said it. And various times throughout the New Testament, writers in the New Testament would say, gird up, look at your neighbor, tell me. I know it's weird, but tell your neighbor, gird up your loins. Oh God. <laughs> gird up your loins with truth. What does that even mean? I'm, I'm glad you asked, let me tell you. When the writer said, gird up your loins, that command was the first command given to someone getting ready to pick a fight. Soldiers in the Roman army, the Roman military, wore as part of their battle threads, wore what we call a tunic. It was a long robe that went down past the calves or up to the calves, and it was almost like um, a, a dress. Except they didn't call it a dress, they called it a tunic. And, and it kind of, it was kind of flowing and had lots of extra fabric and 
You would walk around, you had your belt on and you had your tunic down here. And if you go look at it, you'll find that a tunic looked like almost what was a, male, a, a, a man's dress. But it's called a tunic. When he said, gird up your loins, this is what they did. They bunched up all of the extra fabric. They pulled it between their legs and they tucked the extra fabric in their belt. And it looked like a man was wearing a diaper. Go look at it. In, in other words, he would, he would have this, this garment that was all kind of situated out of the way. Because if your tunic is down here, you can't run and fight. But when you get ready to advance, you gird up your loins. You get your legs free and you get your life free and you get ready to run and you get ready to advance. There are some people who have not girded up their loins because you got a pretty tunic and you like being put together and you don't want to mess up your tunic and you don't want to anyone to see you gird, girding up your loins. It looks kind of weird. It, it looks like you got a big diaper on, but it's the only way for a man who's dressed in the right stuff to be able to advance. When Paul said, gird up your loins, he intended for the soldier to be unhampered he did not want the soldier to be hindered and all, all messed up. He wanted him to be able to run through the enemy and to advance the kingdom of God. Look at your neighbor, tell him, gird up your loins. I want to tell you this. We don't, carry, we don't care how pretty your tunic is. We got a lot of people protecting their image and not girding up their loins. Well, if I gird up my loins, someone's going to see my leg. We don't care what your legs look like. It's time to advance the kingdom of God. And there are people who have their tunic and it's all, it's, it, it's inhibiting them. It's holding them back. You haven't girded up your loins. You're not ready to advance. And Paul says, if you're going to gird up your loins, get, get in the fight position with the belt of truth. Tuck that extra stuff in the belt of truth so that it doesn't get in your way. And we don't need any excess baggage right now. The belt of truth. Please hear me if you don't hear anything else. This Bible is not our truth. It's not a denomination's truth. This is God's truth. Do not attempt to take this word and twist it and make it move in your direction. It stands where it stands, it is what it is, it sits as it sits, and it calls you to move toward it, not it toward you. I'm told that when the FBI, the, the laundering department of the FBI, when they trained them, and you've heard this before, some of you have, when they trained them on how to identify fraudulent money, they do not let them touch fraudulent money. They let them handle real money. Lots of real money passes through their fingers. And they handle so much real stuff that when fake stuff touches their fingers, they can tell by the difference in texture that's not real. I don't want you to specialize in all of the false religions that are in the world. 
You don't have to go touch all of the false religions that are in this world to know what's false. What you got to do is handle the truth. If you'll handle the truth, a lot of it, you'll know when something false comes knocking on your door. He said, put on the belt of truth. Your life will be held together by truth. Your life and my life will be held together by the truth of God. Listen, we sang it this morning. We will build our lives on the gospel, the foundation of the truth of God's word, the foundation of his love for us. I was reading over in Matthew chapter seven while they were singing that song today about the sayings of Jesus, and I'm moving on after this, but the sayings of Jesus. He said that there were two men. One built his house upon the sand, and the one that built his house upon the sand was the man who heard the truth of God. And when he heard it, he didn't honor it, and he didn't receive it. And instead of building his life upon truth, he built his life on sand. He ignored the word of God, and a storm came and wiped out the entire house. Likewise, a man who heard the sayings of Jesus and did what he said was a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Now, I want to tell you something. Just because he built his house upon the rock doesn't mean he didn't have a storm. Both men went through storms. The difference is the one who built his house upon the sand lost everything, but the one who heard the truth and received it was like a man who built his house upon the rock, and after the storm was gone, the man's house was still standing. Christians are not people who don't go through storms. We just stay standing when the storm is over. The truth of God's word. And then he moves on beyond the belt of truth to this thing called the breastplate of righteousness. Say the breastplate of righteousness. Now, like many things in the word of God, great theologians argue <laughs> over what the meaning of the breastplate of righteousness is. And here's the essential argument. Is this breastplate the righteousness that Christ gives us or is it the righteous life that we live for him? And I think in, as it is in most cases, the answer is yes. <laughs> it's both and. First and foremost, we have no righteousness without his righteousness. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 57 he said he looked for justice and he looked for someone to cry out for those who had been oppressed and he could find no one to intercede. So he himself put on righteousness like, like a breastplate. This is where Paul gets this whole thing from about the armor of God. He remembers what the, what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said. He said that when God looked on the earth and could find no one who really loved justice, no one who would speak up for the oppressed, no one who would rescue those who were perishing, when no one would stand up, God said, I'm going to put on righteousness like a breastplate myself. And he came and lived 33 sinless years on this planet. And he who came in the flesh committed no sin. My God. He became our righteousness. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21, and 22, don't miss this. 
He said that we have the ministry of reconciliation whereby we tell people, be reconciled to God. For he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Gosh, that's deep. In fact, that scripture will take a lifetime to discern and understand. He who, Jesus, who knew no sin, he never sinned. The the writer, this is important that you know this, Jesus never sinned. Well, that's because he was the son of God. He was tempted to sin just like me and you. But the writer of Hebrews said, though he were tempted to sin as you and I, he remained without sin, which is the reason we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in the time of trouble because we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. What he doesn't know is how to fall to the temptation because he never sinned. That is the gospel good news for you and I. A man who tasted temptation overcame the temptation and in every place he was tempted, he said no to sin. And one day the father looked at the spotless, sinless son and said, you are worthy to bear the sin of the whole world. Not because you are a sinner, Jesus, but because you are the lamb and are worthy to bear the sins of the whole world. Why did he cry until his sweat become drops of blood? I tell you why, because of the pressure and the weight of the sin of the ages rested on the shoulders of the Son of God. The pressure of my sin and your sin. He who knew no sin became sin. He never sinned, but he bore it. He carried it. You ready for this? He took your sin. He took my sin. He didn't just take the one or the two. He took the sin of the whole world. And I'm gonna freak you out, but he took every sin you've committed and ever will commit. That's no invitation to live a presumptuous life of sin because a righteous man or woman will never take advantage of the grace and mercy of God and say, well, because he saved me, I'll take advantage of his grace and sin as much as I want to. If you have that attitude, dear friend, you are not born again. A child of God does not say, thank you for grace. Let me get away with as much as I want to sin. If you truly love him and know his love for you, you don't want to sin. And when you do sin, you get up and you have a brokenness about you that ought to drive you to a place called repentance. Where is my help in this holy church? We have preached a license to sin. We have told people, get saved, come join the church, and it doesn't matter how you live. It does matter how you live, and if you don't want to live right, you need to go back to the altar and get saved so that your desire is to live for God. No true Christian wants to get away with sin. Where is my help in this sanctified church? Those who are truly saved are broken over the malady and the plight and the pain that their sin 
because it's themselves and others and even the heart of God. You and I were saved to live different kinds of lives. And watch this, we are only saved by the righteousness of Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. What a, what a wonderful thought. I mean, if you think you're okay, that scripture doesn't bless you. But if you know you are a wreck, scripture quickens you. We, Jesus who knew no sin became sin. Ready for this? We knew sin. Oh, I'm going to go even further. We know sin. We didn't just knew it. We know it. We know it as recently as this morning. We knew it as recently as yesterday. We who knew sin have now become righteous to God in Christ. The righteousness of God. And I know you've heard this before, but what literally happened is that the sinless lamb of God who died in your place became the very propitiation and the blood covering you needed to be able to stand before a thrice, three-time holy God and not die in hell. There's only one reason I'm not in hell burning today. It is not because I finally got my act together. It is not because six steps to holy living made me a new man. I am only living today because Jesus Christ died in my place and he took, hold on, he took his holy life and his righteous spiritual account. He, he was rich in righteousness, rich in love. He was rich and loaded in grace. And I and you were bankrupt. And we stood before God and heaven said, justice said, pay the bill. Justice said, you owe heaven. Justice said, pay the bill. And I said, I have nothing to pay the bill that I owe. I am what it says I I am. I did what it says I did. I'm broke like it said I'm broke. And when it looked like the devil, where, where, where are my praises at in here? When it looked like the devil would take me by the hand and lead me to hell because I had a bill I couldn't pay, Jesus walked into the auction block and said, Father, I know Wallace can't pay the bill, but I'm going to pay the bill for him. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to check off every box. I'm going to satisfy the debt. And I'm going to take away the guilt. And the account has been paid in full. Touch your neighbor and say, Hey, neighbor, my bill has been paid in full. He didn't put a down payment on it. He paid it in full. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removed my transgression. And now, now I who knew sin am not known in heaven by my sin. I'm going to say that again. I 
who knew sin am not known in heaven by my sin. I am known in heaven by his righteousness. Well, that has been applied to my life. We say it like this. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. My Lord, help me, church. You, wait, you and I were not righteous. He came and died so that he could impute his righteousness to our account. Now, if that is the case, it explains why Philippians 1 verse 11 says that we ought to live as people who have the fruit of the righteous character that has been put in us by Jesus. In other words, I didn't know righteousness until he gave me his. But now that he gave me his righteousness, it causes me to want to live a righteous life. I didn't have any desire to abstain from sinful things until the sinless one came to live in me and taught me the value of righteousness. And now I don't live seeing how close to the world I can be and still keep on my breastplate of righteousness. Oh no, the breastplate of righteousness is not about surviving holiness, it's about desiring holiness. So, so watch this, he made me righteous and empowered me to be righteous. Sin, I'm through with this, sin shall not have dominion over you and I. Sin doesn't get to control. Yeah, baby, I'm talking to you. Daddy's talking, that's right. If y'all don't help me, my baby girl will help me preach the gospel today. We live in his righteousness. His righteousness empowers and teaches us to live righteous lives. So the breastplate of righteousness is necessary. And if you look at a Roman soldier, the breastplate covers the lungs and the heart. The most precious organs you and I have are under that breastplate. The devil would have taken us out but for the righteousness of Jesus that stood up in our defense. Hallelujah! And then there are days when I feel like, woo, it's a righteous Monday. Mm. I'm feeling victorious. It's a righteous Tuesday. Yeah, I'm feeling on top of the world. It's a righteous Wednesday. And then Thursday comes. And I fail to put on my righteous breastplate. Mm -hmm, Y'all don't like this. But I have a wardrobe malfunction. And it ain't working like it was working. 
And something happened. I know y'all judging me, but I'm talking to y'all too. Because there are days you feel super righteous. And there are days you want to hide the mess that you've made. And so there are days when the enemy comes and the enemy says, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to take you out. And our righteous living is a breastplate that says, you ain't taking me nowhere, devil. And he comes around. Look back there at that verse, the 13th and the 14th verse, when it said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds. Oh, where are the old saints in here? Where are them old saints that used to preach about the wiles of the devil? That word wiles is the Greek word method, where we get our, Greek, our English word method. It's the methods of the devil. And it literally means in the Greek that the devil, don't miss this, travels over your life. That's literally what the word means. He travels, walks all over your life, waiting for the prime moment to find a kink in your armor, that one little open window of unrighteousness, that one little place he comes, he said, oh, they blew it royally, and that, that place opens up, and your heart becomes exposed. That's the method of the devil. And let me tell you something about the enemy without going into a long thing, because we'll be here for a minute if I do this, but the enemy is patient. He, he, will, he will hold out. He will sit in the, in the hedges and in the darkness and in the shadows of your life. And that's what the Bible said about Jesus. The devil came and he tempted him three times. Read the gospel of St. Luke. After the enemy could not get the devil to sin, the Bible said he left Jesus for a season. Y'all not tell, helping nobody right here. I said the devil left Jesus for a season. What does that mean? That means he came back. When did he come back? Scripture doesn't really tell us when he come back, but we do know this, that there was a time in Jesus' life where the enemy was blatantly and actively trying to tempt him. It didn't work, so the enemy said, I'm going to come back later. That's what the enemy will do to you. He will come and try to tempt you, and if he gets you to sin, then the one that tempted you to sin will shame you by the sin you committed. But if you withstand the temptation and you hold up under pressure, the enemy will back off because James said resist the devil and the devil will flee if you resist him he'll run but I want to tell you something he will come back and the word method means he travels over your life going back and forth waiting on the prime time and so you got righteous days where you live righteous and you live in victory and you're overcoming and then you got a day where you blow it royally and it looks like you got a kink in your armor and you say, Lord, my breastplate of righteousness isn't so strong today. And Jesus said, yeah, yours ain't working, so you can have mine. And he gives you his righteousness. Y'all missing what I'm saying. He, he gives you his righteousness. And the enemy that would take advantage of your failure, and he would destroy you in shame, all of a sudden, he runs in, not to your righteous daily living. He runs into the righteousness of Christ. And he can't break through it. And so when the enemy comes, and it looks like you're getting ready to be overtaken, Seth, I'm through preaching. Help me right here. When it looks like he would try to find the weakness and exploit it in your life, the breastplate of Christ's righteousness stands up in your defense.
and the enemy cannot destroy you. That's why we used to say, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I'm finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes my righteousness is filthy rags. But his righteousness has never failed the child of God. And if you feel like today, you're, man, you're living in victory, you're living in authority, you're walking over the enemy, I praise God. I, 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 I know that feeling. I'm grateful for that feeling. But I've, I've got a feeling. There's some people in here who love Jesus but have failed him. And the devil's trying to find that little crack in your armor. And he's trying to exploit that weakness in your life. And he's saying, you're not righteous. And Jesus is saying... Yours is broke right now. Let me give you my righteous breastplate. You can have mine. You weren't perfect, but I am. You blew it royally, but I'm the God who puts it all back together. I'm going to restore you. I hear the Lord talking to somebody right now. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to put you back together. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to forgive your sin. I'm going to break the yoke. I'm going to rescue you from the trap. The enemy laid the trap, but God's the one that's going to rescue from it. You say, Pastor Kevin, I've made a mess out of my life. I don't know who I'm talking to in this room today, but there's somebody in here, nobody even knows you're sitting in this building but God. You thought you were coming here today to hide and heal. I just get to church. If I just get in that place, if grace would just flow to my life, God can start healing me. Nobody even knows you're here, but God told me to tell you he knows you're here. You feel like you've got a chink in your armor and a hole in the breastplate of your righteousness, and it doesn't feel like you're holding up, but he told me to tell you he came today to give you his righteous breastplate. The enemy can't have your life, sir. Ma'am, the enemy can't have your life. And I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to me, tell them right now it's not over for them. You don't need this. Pray for the person that does. But God told me to tell somebody it's not over for you. The enemy's wearing you out, beating you down, and tormenting you. Shame is trying to rob you of your identity in God. Somebody has felt like a failure for a long time enemies wearing you out you're hiding in here today but he came for you he came to give you his breastplate of righteousness would you stand with me I'm through preaching I'm learning to lean oh I'm learning 
learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I'm finding more power. How many need his righteousness today? Than I've ever. Just throw your hand up. You don't have to be ashamed. Well, what would somebody think about me? I don't care what you think about me. I need his righteous breastplate. I need his righteous breastplate on my, on my life. I, I don't want to fight the evil day with my own, my own stuff. I need the righteousness of God. Anybody need the righteousness of Jesus? Throw your hands up right now if you need him. Lord, I pray for everybody who got their hand in the air right now. I rebuke the spirit of shame. And the spirit of uh, the spirit that is telling them that they're going to always be defeated and they're always going to be less and they're always going to be haunted by their past today. Come on, somebody. Today, I declare in the name of Jesus Christ that the breastplate of his righteousness is resting on our lives and that the belt of his truth is holding us together. The devil will not have our future. He might have had our past, but he cannot have your future. Come on, lift your voice if you're thankful the devil can't have your future. Lift your voice if you're thankful that there is a place where the righteous can run. Lift your voice and praise if you know that there is a name that is above every other name, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Listen, I want to pray for you today. I believe this message is bringing uh, a strengthening to your faith. In fact, some of you have needs today in your life, and I want to pray for God to meet those needs. If you need healing, I want you to know that Christ Jesus is a healer. If you need provision, I want you to know that your God is a provider. Whatever you have need of today, nothing is too big and nothing is too small for God to meet it. Father, we thank you today for every man and woman that are watching this broadcast. I pray today for those who have needs in their life. They need you to heal them, Lord. They need provision. They need strength. Many of them need to be freed from depression and heaviness. And I just ask in Christ's name today that the power of your precious Holy Spirit would come up on them wherever they are, break every yoke, meet every need. Jesus, you're a miracle worker. And by faith, we thank you that the power of God is working in their life right now, turning everything around in Jesus' name, amen. Friend, we love you. We can't wait to see you next week on this broadcast. Until then, we're praying for you. You're in our hearts and we'll see you soon. God bless.